So this is, a new, this is the first week of a new series, um, and I want us to think of your life first in uh, three reservoirs. So if your life is, is three things, there's freedom, there's community, and there's, uh, and there's meaning. So if these are reservoirs, there's only so much rain that can come down, and we can direct the tap towards wherever of these three that we want to go. So um, if we want freedom, we, and a certain level comes, we get that, or, or community or meaning. Now, um, so freedom, if we just have freedom and not community, then we kind of end up lonely. We get all the things what we, that we want, but we're not connected to other people. We feel lonely because of that. If we have uh, community and meaning without freedom, well, that's basically just like, like an oppressed immigrant group, like someone who's new to a country. They might have a lot of community. They might have a lot of meaning that comes from that, but they actually don't have a lot of freedom in their community because of the new, uh, the new uh, culture that they're going to oppresses them. Or this is maybe also what uh, some churches in some regions of China are currently experiencing being persecuted. So we want to have, like the good life is for all three of them to, to be going on. We want all three of them to be full. Um, but this is really what our lives look like, generally, in the West. We have a lot of freedom. We direct that tap towards freedom. We're overflowing with freedom. But our community and meaning reservoirs are a bit dry, are a bit lacking. We don't feel, we always want community. We always want meaning. We're, we're kind of starved for it. Um, but what, uh, what we need to do is redirect some of what goes to freedom to these other areas, to community and to meaning. That means, this actually means a sacrifice of freedom will get us the community and the meaning that we're actually searching for. So what we really want is not something like this, because we feel like even though we might have all the things in the world, this is, this kind of life that's organized like this is why this world can be amazing and us still feel depressed. For us to, to basically have all the things and still feel poor, still not feel complete or whole. But this is kind of where we want to get to, where we have freedom, community and meaning kind of all working together. And that's what, what makes us feel whole, because that's what we're really, what we're made for. And so what One John is all about, it's all about how do we get community and meaning in our lives? People who have all this freedom to do with basically whatever we want, whenever we want, which is mostly true for all of us. How do we grow in community? How do we grow in meaning? And that's what life in the light looks like. A full life, a whole life is one where all these three things are going all the time. Uh, does that make sense? It's a bit abstract. We're going to be talking about it as we go through it. Um, a little bit, by the way, the background of, of 1 John, the letter. It's a letter from a pastor written to multiple congregations that was going to be passed around to multiple congregations. These are people that he mostly knew, so it was a very kind of fatherly tone. as a loving tone that kind of comes across that we'll see as we get in here. The author is John the Apostle the author of the Gospel of John, the author of Revelation, and uh, most people think that he wrote these letters, 1, 2, and 3 John, after he wrote the Gospel of John. So it's about 80, 85, 80. And many people think that he was writing from Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a place where Paul had planted a church, and this is John kind of interacting with this church. And the way that John writes, it's like he really knows these people. And he calls them like, my dear children, my little children. He has a kind of fatherly love for them. Now, it's crazy to me that if uh, the things that John is writing about, like community and meeting, are the things that are lacking in, during John's time, this was nearly a millennia ago, are the same things that are lacking in our lives. People who are in a total different place, total different context, their, kinds of lives, their lives are completely different than ours, still having the same problems as us. Because though this world might get better on the outside, we're still the same kind of humans with the same kinds of needs. 
We're all in need of meaning and community. And that's one of the reasons that Jesus died, to give us freedom, yes, but freedom for something, a freedom for something more than just freedom itself, a freedom that comes with community, a freedom that comes with meaning. Jesus has seen us in the dark with all the freedom in the world, and yet still we're not whole. We need more than just freedom to make ourselves whole, and Jesus offers us life in the light. So what's this life all about? Well, we're going to, uh, Elspeth read the sections we're going to be looking at today, and we're going to zero in on three things, the Christian message, the Christian community, and the Christian life. First, we'll look at the Christian message, then we'll look at the Christian community and the Christian life. Because really, what this is, is an intro to the rest of the, of the book. This is kind of like an overview of the rest of our series that will be um, as we uh, dive into 1 John a bit. So the first four verses are about the Christian message. <clears throat> and John starts by talking about a person. He starts talking about Jesus. He says, we've heard him speak. We've literally touched him with our hands. Uh, John calls this person the word of life. So the word is a message, but Jesus himself is also the message. The message is a person. The Christian message is the person of Jesus. Verse 2 says, uh, this life appeared, we've seen it. We even testify to it. We're, we're witnesses to it. Uh, and we also proclaim it to you. The we that John's talking about there, by the way, is he and the rest of the apostles. He's not saying we as in the church he's writing to, because that wouldn't make any sense. It's him and the rest of the apostles that they would know of. And this is, uh, this is what they're about. Jesus is the message. He's also the life, it says there. He says he's the eternal life. Now, if I say eternal life, the first thing you're going to think of is some kind of like really religious or churchy thing of something that like heaven or something in the future. And, and though that's true, it's not the complete story of what eternal life is about. When, often when we think of eternal life, we think of something in the future. But John is talking about something that's in the past and the present as well as in the future. The eternal life is Jesus. And this eternal life was with the Father and is also with us. So was with the Father, was sent to the earth, and is with us. It's a past and a present thing. Maybe another way to say the eternal life, to kind of de-Christianese that word, is the good life. What is the good life about? Something that we all search after. Everyone is searching after the good life. Is it a job? Is it a family? Is it some kind of mix of all those things? Well, John is saying God has revealed the good life, and it's the person of Jesus. He's the embodiment of the good life. And this person proclaims a message. And those who have seen this person have a message to proclaim to us. This message is what the church is built upon. The proclamation in verse 2 is eternal life. Again, that churchy word keeps on coming up. This message is Jesus, and Jesus is the message. So Jesus saw us in the dark, freedom completely overflowing, but lacking community and meaning. He saw us helpless by ourselves, and through his life, his death, and his resurrection, we can live in the light. We can experience the good life. We can have all those reservoirs filled. So John and the other apostles, um, that's the we again that we're talking about here, are proclaiming Jesus. In the later verses, John will explain himself, and we'll get to that in, for future weeks. But for now, this is just the beginning part of the prologue. You're kind of setting everything up, setting everything up under the name of Jesus. The person is Jesus. The proclamation is Jesus. But then um, look at verse 3. It says, we proclaim to you that we have seen and heard, and there's that so that. Some kind of reason for this. What's the purpose? What's the purpose of this? What's the purpose for John? so that we might have fellowship with those who are following Jesus, with the apostles, and with God himself. We have lights buzzing back and forth? I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. Um, maybe the 
lights will come up and we'll start a little rave right now. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so if the church is a group of people who are following Jesus, then who do we have community with? Do we have community with Jesus or do we have community with each other? Yes, of course, the answer is yes. It's both, it's both of those things. That's, that's, that's the purpose of the message is that there might be fellowship with Jesus and fellowship with each other. And Jesus is part of our church. He's a leader, by the way. He's like top of the org chart. If we had an org chart, he'd be at the top. And we, the church, get to be part of the Trinity, get to be part of that family. But God has always existed in community. It's Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He's never not existed outside of community. And the message that Jesus brought, the person's proclamation, was that we also can be in that same kind of community. That's craziness. We get to be part of God's family. That's why we say this over and over and over. We're a gospel-formed family on mission. We're a family. It's like we were orphans, we're fatherless, meandering about without a home, and now we're given a home, adopted into a new family. So what kind of family are we, uh, are we adopted into? Well, we're freed from meaningless freedoms, giving community in the Trinity and with each other. Now, the church may not look supernatural. It may not look cosmic on the outside. I mean, what is that? I don't know. Um, I mean, this building isn't, isn't ideal for a church. No one would ever think like, oh, this is the first place to go to, to, to start a new church. And you're right, but you know what's even less ideal than this building is ourselves. We are less ideal than all of that. Because even with our brokenness, what we get to be because of Jesus is his people. People who now reflect the glory of the triune God back to each other and to the world. And the church, it's a family that Jesus has been gathering for millennia. So what we get to do together on Sunday mornings, like we aren't alone. Like we're, we're a small group here, right? But we're, we don't do this alone. We may, not, we may not see the other people that we're in community with, but we're not alone. We're steeped in a river of millions who have gone before us, part of the historic ancient church, and people who will go after us, Lord willing, and also people throughout the globe. It's historic. It's global. It's something much bigger than this small gathering that we have today. It's always on the move, it's always advancing, it's always about bringing light to a dark, dark world. And that's the reality of who we are. It might be easy to forget that, especially as we live our lives, but that's, that is the truth, that's the reality. So that's the Christian message, briefly. Um, in verses five through 10, John continues to tell us a little bit more about what the proclamation is all about. Uh, Christian community, so what kind of fellowship is this? What kind of community, what's it like? For us, uh, it's a question of really, for us here, what kind of community do you want to be a part of? And it first starts off with God being light. There is no darkness in God. And John explains more of what life in the light looks like. So there's kind of four kind of areas I think John's hitting here. The first is it's authentic. It's uh, actually following through with the words that we say. If we just say something and not actually follow through, that's not authentic. That's basically what the definition of hypocrisy is. And authenticity is about meaning. I mean, we're, we are starved for authenticity in our lives. We're always searching for authenticity, and we're always drawn to that because we're always drawn to meaning. We're, all, we're starved for meaning in our lives. We want meaning. The search for meaning means a sacrifice of freedom. That means if we're going to be truly authentic Christians, it's going to be a sacrifice to our freedom in order to actually live that out. Our lives aren't our own anymore, and there's a priority, priority that at times will infringe upon what we want to do when we want to do it. So if we say we have community with God and with each other, but live as if that's not true, John says we're liars, we're hypocrites, and we miss out on a meaningful life. So what kind of sacrifices might be necessary? Well, Elspeth brought up a lot of what it means to be generous. Basically, you can't be 
generous and not sacrifice. The two have to go hand in hand. What do we do with our time? What do we chase after? What do we desire? If we put ourselves before God and before others, we're bound for a meaningless life. We're bound for a meaningless life. But if the converse is also true, if we put God and others in front of ourselves, if we make them the priority, we gain a meaningful life, an authentic, an authentic life. So it's authentic, it's also a freed kind of community. But if we follow the proclamation of this person that John's talking about here, if we practice the way of Jesus, we get a fellowship with God and with each other. And strangely, that's freeing. It's weird, we have to give up freedom to get more freedom. I think it's really like, what type of freedom are we searching after? The freedom that truly is meaningful or cheap kind of freedom. And to underscore that, Jesus writes this in verse, or John writes this in verse seven. He says, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So that means this community with God and with each other is a freed community. We're free from guilt. We're free from shame. I mean, guilt is feeling bad because you did something bad. Guilt is a consequence of not walking in the light, of living in a way where those reservoirs are kind of out of sync. But with Jesus, we get to be free. And shame is basically feeling bad because you think you are bad. That's even more isolating because no one wants to share that about themselves. It's even more lonely. But Jesus has also banished shame because through his sacrifice, he's given us new hearts and our desires can be transformed. So a freed community is a meaningful community. The third one that John talks about in verses eight and 10 is an honest community. The Christian community, like, we ought to be honest. Verse 8 says, if we say we don't have sin, we're liars. Verse 10 says, if we say we haven't sinned, we call God a liar. There's all sorts of lying going on if we don't believe that we're actually sinful. We lie to ourselves and to God if we reject the idea that we have it all together or that, that we're broken. If we think we have, how about this? This is a little bit easier. If we think we have it all together, we're lying to ourselves or we're lying to God. Because we have guilt and shame, we won't want others to know about it even though we're all in the same boat. So we're not always honest with how sinful or how shameful or whatever we are. But in contrast to that, the Christian community really ought to be different. It should be different because it should thrive on being honest. Now, why? Because Jesus has already freed us. We don't have to build anything else on, any, on anywhere else. Proof of understanding that Jesus has freed you is how honest are you with yourself, with where you don't measure up? How okay with you, how okay, okay are you with yourself of being broken, of not having it all together. If we're shameful, our first instinct is to hide, but the Christian community has to be more than just instinctual reflexes. We must reject hiding and be honest with each other. Otherwise, we're liars and we're calling God a liar. And really, like, I don't wanna be part of a community that's not honest. I think we all want to, but it's, it's difficult to get there. It doesn't mean we have to be completely honest with everybody all the time and just you know, spill our deepest, darkest sins to every single person. But the hope is that there would be at least one person in our church that you could be comfortable with to confide in, to talk about you know, those deep, dark places that few people do. And the last uh, aspect of this community is that it's forgiving. On the heels of honesty comes forgiveness. We are a forgiving community. In verse nine, it says, if we confess our sins, he forgives us. We've already been cleansed from all our sin, and when we mess up, we will. John isn't saying, if we happen to sin, basically it's, it's a conditional clause, like an if then. If this happens, then this happens. So John isn't saying, oh, maybe you guys are gonna sin, so if that happens, to ha if that happens then this is what you need to do. Basically, John is saying, when this situation appears, here's what you do. 
When it happens, we can come to Jesus and Jesus can cleanse us. It's like, ah, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know the thoughts that I have. Well, it says all unrighteousness. It's not like most unrighteousness unless it's really weird. (laughs) Unless you've never shared it with anybody. Anything you've done or have ever thought of doing or will do or will ever think of doing, we will be forgiven. And not as some kind of whim. It's not like, oh, if, if Jesus is happy that day, he's going to forgive me. Or if I say my prayers the right way, Jesus is going to forgive me. Or if I read the Bible that day, then I'm forgiven. Like, enter in whatever kind of religious thing that you attach yourself to. Jesus is faithful. He doesn't require us to be faithful. He's the one that's faithful to us first. And that means it's unchanging. He's always forgiving us, always forever forgiving us. That means if we're in community with God, we too should be faithful in forgiving others when they offend us. And hopefully we're living lives close enough to each other where we are going to offend us. And we should be a forgiving community. Now, where do we find a group of people who are defined this way? Oh, I didn't bring them up. My little clicker. Oh, uh, There it is. All these away. Authentic, freed, honest, and forgiving. Like, that sounds amazing. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? The church, in some ways, hasn't historically been these things. In fact, it's been the opposite. It's been like the one in power suppressing these things. And we can be honest with that as a church, because we're forgiven. But a church, a community, like meaning, all this is really hard work, being honest with each other. It's difficult. It doesn't come easy. It's easy to, you know, to be like this for the two hours that we're here on a Sunday. But a community is more than an event. It's relationships working together. And if it's difficult, it's important for the goal to be worth the effort. If we're going to put the time in for something like this, especially as a new church, it better be worth it, right? It's like, I'm not going to spend, you know, two years, five years, however many years of my life doing all this stuff for it not to really be worth it in the end. The worst case scenario would be to work like crazy for something like years, to sacrifice for those things, to give yourself and find out at the end it like really wasn't worth it. That'd be a waste. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to be like the people... Um, uh, whom this headline was about, I don't know if you guys saw this in the MEN, would-be Manchester bank raiders target fake vault. You guys hear about that? People broke into an escape room thinking it was actually the bank. Uh, and they got like a thousand quid, I think, in the end, but probably not nearly as much as they thought they were going to get. I mean, if you are planning to rob a bank, I mean, that's pretty high risk, right? You go to jail for I don't know however, however long. Um, you expect some kind of level of payout. Like, this better be worth it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rob a bank. I'm not going to get, it was two guys, so I'm not going to get like 500 quid for robbing a bank. That's, I'm going to get a lot more than that. But they break into this thing because it, their goal, their target was completely wrong. It was literally fake. And actually, one quote that I loved in this article, the director of the escape, of the escape room said, what they didn't realize was all the clues to get into the safe were in the room they were already in. <laughs> <laughs> I could have just figured it out. I mean, they were eventually caught, but um, (laughs) they broke into a bank that nobody heard of because it wasn't a bank at all. And we don't want that to be what we're about as a church. And if we're not about these things, what we're doing, all the energy and time that we're putting into this won't be worth it. We we should be spending our lives towards something that matters. So what is the purpose of our community or communities, the communities that we're a part of, the type of community that we're working towards? We want to spend the time working hard towards something that matters. I mean, this and this, like this is what matters. 
We know it's not easy getting in here, setting up the way it is, especially if it was a bit hurried today. I mean, some things aren't ideal, and in our early days like this, there are gonna be weeks, there's gonna be months, maybe even years, where we'll be like, ah, oh, is this really worth it? Ah, oh, I get up on eight o'clock, or however early you have to get up on a Sunday morning. But a community that's authentic, freed, honest, and forgiven, that kind of community is worth it. I wanna be a part of that, regardless of what it might look like on the outside. And this is what we're seeking to build, because what we do today is what Redeemer will be like five years from now, 10 years from now. We get to set that tone. We get to, to lay the groundwork. And we get to build this together as we follow Jesus. I mean, isn't that what an exciting thing to live for? And anyone can get, in, can get in on this. Like, that's worth pouring our lives out for, to be in this together. And that's a life of community. That's a life of meaning. So the last heading here, the Christian life. Um, so life in the light we started with the Christian message, went through Christian community. Now John takes it down a notch. And in, uh, in verse 1 of, chap- of chapter 2, he says, my dear children, my little children. Now why is he writing? John's saying, here's, here, here's why I'm writing to you. He does this like a few other times in this letter. It's a bit confusing the way that John writes. But he's saying, here's why I'm writing to you, which we should pay attention to that. He's writing that we here in this room may not sin. Because he's not just writing to this church, he's writing to us. We're the same, we might live like way further past John's life, but we have the same problems and have, and have the same needs. That we may not sin here in this room. John wants our lives freed from sin as much as possible. On a trajectory towards reflecting Jesus in all things. That, of course, we're going to wobble, we're going to stumble along the way. But what is our main characteristic? What is the theme of our life? Is the theme of our life some level of sin or is the theme of our life Jesus? Now, maybe you're like, okay, yeah, the theme of life, I want it to be something worth it. I want it to be something like what John's talking about here. How is that possible? Well, it's through our fellowship with God, through our fellowship with each other. This is what the eternal life is all about, what the good life is all about, what it looks like in the present. We're connected to God and we're connected to each other and the strength of that connection determines the trajectory of our lives. As, as the trajectory of our lives will be determined as strong as we're connected to our God and to each other. So more God, more people of God, that means more Jesus in our lives, less of our own. And that's the Christian life, orientating ourselves around God and God's people instead of around what we want to do ourselves. Or instead of demanding that God come through for us or demanding his people to orient themselves around us. This is eternal life now. That's what eternal life looks like now in this world. But what about when we mess up? Yes, what about that? Because we will. We don't want to lie to ourselves, and we don't want to call God a liar. Both of, both of those things don't seem ideal. So it's not if, it's when. And though sin ought not to be a major characteristic of the Christian, which we know we're going to do it. And what about those times? I mean, our worship service, part of it is, is organized around the idea that we are going to sin. That's part of who we are. Well, the end of verse 1 says, If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. John doesn't say we have a judge. He doesn't say we have a tormentor. He doesn't say we have a punisher. He doesn't say we have someone who's a slightly disappointed father figure. We have an advocate. An advocate is in your corner, on your side, working for you, not against you. An advocate doesn't condemn, they help. They give practical help. And this advocate that we have isn't just a cheering squad. This advocate knows the system, knows how to work the system because he created the system and is powerful to actually make the changes that we need. 
Verse two says, he, this advocate, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So this advocate is not only on our side, is not only powerful, but sacrificed all of his freedom so that we might have his. Because we sin, because Jesus is creating this unique community, he had to take on what we never could. Some of you guys know the story about um, my dad, but if you haven't, uh, I'll tell a little bit about it. I won't spend an insane amount of time. Um, some years ago, my father, in an effort to save his own skin, implicated me in one of his crimes of fraud. A little bit of a background, my dad was a mortgage broker, and uh, he committed like tons of, fr of fraudulent mortgages. This was when like the housing boom was still going on before, before the uh, economic downturn. And he was doing lots of fraudulent mortgages, and eventually the authorities were onto him, so he kind of disappeared for two years. Nobody really knew where he was. But the FBI found him, as the FBI often does for people that they're finding, and uh, he had no other resort to plead guilty at this time to the charges they were bringing against him. I mean, he basically stole millions of dollars. But he was also told that whoever else he could help put away to prison, uh, they would shorten his prison, prison sentence. So basically it was in his best interest to cast guilt on as many people as possible so he'd spend less amount of time in jail. And so my dad uh, told them that I was in on the fraud with him. I wasn't, by the way, it was a complete lie. Um, so the FBI though, with that information uh, from a, a con artist, uh, charged me with fraud, which is a federal crime in America, which is like a big deal. I was handcuffed, I was processed, my DNA was taken, I was left in a prison cell by myself before I got to see a judge. I was basically in a prison cell for uh, an entire day and they forgot to feed me, I think because I was by myself. So I was like really hungry, it was super cold, in handcuffs for the entire day. When I finally get to see the judge, the first piece of like legal paper put in front of me is United States of America versus Greg Wilson. I was like, ooh, <laughs> I am out of my league. I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't really know even why I'm here. Um, and I learned about why I was there, you know, eventually. It was this kind of really long, two-year, horrible process. And we didn't have any money, we were completely poor, so the state provided an attorney for me, and this man was a gift from God to us. I mean, he, I mean, he helped me understand what advocate really meant in ways I never really knew before, because a lot was on the line. My, my lawyer, my advocate, not only believed in me and fought for me, we, we didn't, and was free for us, I mean, we didn't pay him at all because we didn't have any money, and he changed my outcome. So we have plenty of people who were like, this is horrible, Greg, blah, 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 like we're praying for you and we're on your side and cheering for you. And that's great and we needed that, but we didn't have anybody outside of our lawyer who could actually affect anything. I mean, the two things I probably know least about this world is like money stuff and legal stuff. This is like, I really should have known a little bit more about those things in that moment. <laughs> Would have been helpful. I had no power to do anything. But eventually our case went to a trial which if you've ever been in like a federal courthouse in America, I mean like it's scary as anything as marble things and it's, it's like meant to be intimidating. And, and that was the United States of America versus little ignorant Greg. Um, so after a week long trial of which two days where my father, the star witness was against me saying how guilty I was, um, after this excru excruciatingly long week, it was clear that the government's case didn't have any actual evidence against me because there wasn't any, uh, because it didn't do anything. And my case was eventually thrown out by the judge as if I've never been charged, which is amazing. But without my lawyer, without my advocate fighting for me, that would have never happened. I would have either went to prison for the four years or had to pay a massive fine of like seventy-five dollars or $100,000 or both, or who knows what would have happened. Now, and that was for a trial that was innocent. But we know we are all guilty. 
with all sorts of, in all sorts of areas. And matters that matter, it, it, things that matter far more than a four-year prison sentence, as horrible as that is. And when you Google it, you're like, this is going to be crazy. Don't ever do that, by the way. It's a horrible thing. And Jesus is not only our advocate in a way that my lawyer was for me. He also takes that punishment because we are actually guilty in the trial before God. And the, that he, Jesus not only works for us, but he takes that punishment that we actually deserved on himself. And that's what the cross is all about. That's why the cross exists. An advocate taking our punishment. And that's what atoning sacrifice means. That's what verse 2 means. To be at one with God and with each other. The way that John's talking about here. That we can actually have fellowship with God and fellowship with each other is what Jesus won at the cross. Jesus paid it in full. Jesus is the message, and his message is all can be free. All can experience meaning. All can experience community under me. And in my case... After the judge throughout my case, that trial I was talking about, literally erasing the guilty charges against me, he looked at me like for the first time in the, the entire week, straight in the eyes. He looked at me straight and said, son, you are free to go. He didn't just say, son, you're free. He said, you're free to go. I, as quickly as I could, gathered all my stuff and ran out of that courtroom because <laughs> it was hell in that courtroom. It was horrible. Um, how weird would it have been if I'd been like, I'm all right, judge, thanks. I'm just going to hang out here for a bit. Um, continue, <laughs> whatever they do. If I was free but decided to stay there in that courtroom hell, that would have been ridiculous. Similarly, under Jesus, we're free, not just for freedom's sake to do whatever we want to do, but we're free to go. We're free from our own guilt. We're free from our own shame, free to be authentic and honest and forgiven, and free to go where Jesus goes. Because at the end of verse 2, it says Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but sins for the entire world, for everybody from all kinds of backgrounds. It doesn't matter where you come from. Jesus' sacrifice wasn't just for those who were already here. Jesus, the reason why Jesus went to the cross is because there are empty seats here that are meant for people in Trollton, even now. People from any background, anyone can get in on this. We're free. We're free to go, free to live Jesus' mission because this is the truth. There are people here in Trollton that Jesus has died for that we don't know yet, that don't know us yet. That through our church existing, through our meaningful community, where we're sacrificing our freedom for each other and for people who aren't even part of our community yet, they're going to get to know about. Jesus is going to use Redeemer to draw these people to himself. That means all of us, as we're gathered here together, as we're kind of scattered throughout our lives during the week, we're on this mission together. There are people in your life that Jesus is probably calling that we don't know, that only you do. We proclaim and live out the Christian message. We live within the meaningful and Christian community. We've been given a freedom that isn't just for us. It's for the whole world. And Jesus died for that to be true. Jesus died for these words that John's writing to be true. If Jesus hasn't died, then these words just aren't true. We should do, go do something else. So he gave up everything, and he sacrificed it so that we may be free. His body was broken so that we can take our brokenness to him and he can make us whole. And his blood was poured out, an atoning sacrifice for our sins and not just ours, but sins for the whole world. Those who trust in Jesus, our advocate, are welcome to come up to this table. Whether you're a part of Redeemer or not, 
All are welcome who have surrendered to Jesus. And maybe you've never done this before. Um, take this as an opportunity now to consider if Jesus is worth trusting. And if he is worth trusting, come and eat and drink with us. Because Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, tells us all can be free, all can experience community, all can experience meaning, all can live in that way under me. Let me pray.